Welcome to the Tenuous Links Podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, welcome back for another Tenuous Links Golf Podcast, home of the Golf Barons, where swing meets swagger. It's good to be back in the driver's seat after a couple of weeks off, and accompanying me today, as always, is the one and only Philbert, great man. Thanks for setting the ship the past fortnight. They were a very effective few weeks off you had, though, Shooter. I will say Baron's life is quite outstanding. I don't mind a bit of self-promotion. Oh, very good, very good for you. But before look, before we get into the nitty gritty of today, we've got a fair bit on, uh, a fair bit to discuss. I, I just wanted to first welcome on board our newest sponsor, Phil Garmin Australia. Jumped on board. Very exciting partnership for us with all the all the finest things in GPS with these guys: launch monitors, laser range finders, and those GPS wearables. Just fantastic. So we're looking forward to exploring the world of navigation with Garmin. I thought I'd just get that quick little plug in for them, Phil. Might mean the keeper turns up to the right joint now. Fingers crossed. And speaking of navigation, let's get into it. I hear you had a little, well, more than just a little bit of trouble finding your way around Yarra Yarra Golf Club recently. No. Now, there's a, there is a story because everything has to have a story attached to it because this is golf. Context so matters. I have been like, since our lockdown ended and we were given permission to play golf again within my 15-kilometre boundary zone not to go over old ground, I was lucky enough to play Yarra Yarra um, a couple of times and, and – um, uh, this is a little bit a tale of two cities, except it's a tale of two rounds, and I won't bore you with the details. But suffice to say, first up, I thought I'd have a crack at how fewer clubs I could use in a round of golf coming off a two-month layup, um, layoff uh, and see what happened. And I used four clubs for a round. I had 35 points and did it easy with four clubs and no technology. Can I ask you which four clubs you used? Uh, I had uh, three wood. Seven iron, my fifty-two degree wedge, and a putter. And a putter. Now, see, ditching the driver though, just for the record, it's a ma- it's a marvelous idea. More of us need to do it. Now, as anyone would know, it's not because I'm prodigious of length. So what I was having to do was to just <laughs> navigate and think my way, but you know, of hitting a three wood anywhere from my standard one thirty to you know two or three different lengths. I had to think about whether or not I could hit seven iron. 170 as much as I could at one stage 110 because um, my 52, I can only hit about 50 metres. So really that was my chipping club. But it was a fascinating in- insight into how I started playing golf, which is with a half set at most or even with a few clubs where you just dealt with it. I'm going to contrast that to what happened uh, in my second <laughs> journey out there where I went all clubs in. Um, I was ripping plastic off left, right and centre. I had driver out <laughs> free with the whole lot. Um, I had 26 points and uh, in perfect conditions, it was 23 degrees and sunny and hardly a breath of wind. No excuses. To the point where at one stage, uh, and anyone who knows Yarra Yarra would know the seventh hole runs alongside the practice fairway. And I was playing so well that I was on the practice fairway tee for two uh, because I had to actually play down that. Uh, well, in fact, I tried not to. It's just I ended up there. And a, a gentleman, a fine gentleman from the practice bunker said, um, sorry, the practice field is closed today. 
<laughs> and I said, yeah, no, I understand that. He said, no, no, I just told that before. Practice your eyes closed. You can't practice. I'm not trying to practice. I'm trying to get to that green over there. <laughs> so that was <laughs> so that, that was my first thing is that getting back to this Jimenez comment that he made a few years ago is why don't we think about playing 10 clubs that people have lost the ability to work the ball. Now, I don't have the ability to work the ball. I have an inability to think properly when I've got too many options, when I'm getting cornered. You confuse yourself with too many options. It's funny it's Funny you say that, Phil. I mean, the game is still a mystery to me, but I've worked out, I think anyway, I've worked out what my major problem has been all these years. I think I worked this out last week playing at the Glades, uh, nice. back back there for the first time in whew, 15 years, so 13 years, and it was exactly as I remembered it, in magnificent condition. But anyway, I've worked out what my issue has been all, all along. I've been trying to hit it straight. You just touched on work. I'm a worker. Oh, for it. my goodness. At least when it comes to uh, it comes to golf. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to get that ball moving left to right or right to left. And I, I figured it out. Um, let's just say I was a little bit wayward off the tee. Nothing new there. I hit a couple of absolute belter hard draws from out within trees and could not have hit them perfectly. And a couple of things that Kipper had shown me uh, only a year or so ago. And I finally put them into practice uh, on the on the course uh, under pressure. I kid you not. It, I need to be. I need to think like Bubba. I need to look at everything all right. I need to come in massively from the right there or massively from the left there. Because as soon as I started doing that, I gave myself a real specific target and a real specific um, uh, sort of outcome that I was looking for. Instead of just looking straight and going, if I don't hit that straight, well, then I've, I've messed it right up. So. I think I, I think I'm a worker for now. This could change with my next round, of course. It's likely to but change. At this stage, at this stage, I'm a worker. Well, it's nice to know because you've got worker ball. So you've got worker balls in your bag, and if you become a worker, then in theory you get this perfect um, amalgam. But, but I'll tell you one thing I have also noticed from following my most recent round is that golfers are never satisfied. And I'm, I'm going to just use this very quick example from the, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, the fifth hole at Yarra Yarra, really short, cracking little par four. Yeah. Um, anyway, my playing partner, who will remain nameless, had 60 metres in and he's hit his second shot and whinged that he'd hit it too straight. It pulled up <laughs> a foot short of the hole. He had a gimme, a tap-in birdie. Oh, but if I had to hit it further left up the hill, it would have rolled further and gone in. He was trying to make it, Phil. Oh, it's a we, miss. Technically a miss. He was trying to make it onto the green. Have we ever sat are golfers ever satisfied? No, very rarely. Very rarely. Although there is one golfer at the moment I think would be incredibly satisfied with his current form. And it's the great man that we've been a bit of a fan of his for a while. And it's great to see he's the the fruits of his labor are, uh, are starting to fall in his way in his lap. And that is, of course, the one and only Lucas Herbert Philly. We have jumped on. No, no, that's not true. No, no, we because there's one thing about Lucas Herbert that, that, and in fact, there's a lot of things about Lucas Herbert and his super coach uh, Dom as a party. Lucas Herbert is the king of lag. The, so Kipper's been trying to get me to lag it to pick up length or otherwise, but both he and his super coach were. It's just a lag fest. It is so late. It's like watching a good swinging Sergio. They're, they're so late. Into the, it's quite incredible. And watching him under pressure, because you, you apply what you think of your own golf game to watching someone else. And when he's picking up two irons and three irons, like in this howling gales, just knowing that he's going to flush them, um, this supreme confidence, 
is unbelievable. And one other thing that I loved about him, particularly and obviously winning Bermuda and winning on the PGA Tour for the first time, becoming the first Aussie to win in both Europe and the US in the same year since 2008. Wow. Who was that last one? Was it Adam Scott? Adam Scott. But he, he, he played the last round without a five on. He channeled Ben Hogan. Or a bit of Philly's last round or pre- this, first round. This was Ben Hogan at Merion. I know it wasn't a major, but he'll win one. Um, he, he played the last round without a five on. And they were talking about it being a really difficult club to play around, but he needed to have a two and three on in his bag um, because it was going to be so windy and he knew he'd need them off the tee. He- so just never leave yourself with a five iron in. So he, he took five iron out and there was one, uh, I think it might have been 13th, par three, um, where he really needed the five iron and try and take some off the four iron and went through the green, put himself under a bit of pressure. But it was just outstanding. Standing. Now you did you did mention uh, lag in the swing there. But I just wanted to very quickly mention uh, find out where you sit on lag putting. Are, are you of the mindset that aiming to drop it, so long as you're sort of not drilling it past the hole, is is better than just trying to hit it close? At least you have a chance of holding it in that way. This is an interesting. I mean, it's that scoring versus protecting mentality. Um, and it's interesting because, again, Lucas Herbert, it might have been on the 12th, don't quote me on the holes, um, but he actually hit a, a putt four or five feet past, you know, really wanting to jam it in because it's that mindset of I'm holding it, I'm holding it. And and Kippy used to talk about when he was in his name-dropping phase about bads, unafraid to, to end up with four feet coming back because he knew he was going to hold the one back, but it was that holding speed. For me, I've come to the conclusion that every one of my three putts is not – once ever because I've picked a bad line, hmm. it, it 100% of the time is because I choose a bad length or, or don't worry about the length. So uh, if you want to score better for being off my handicap, lag putting is king. But, but So isn't it, isn't it just better to learn how to be a die putter then? Isn't that the best of both worlds? Um, I will take that under advisement and um, potentially explore it in season three, Shooter. Um but just getting back to the the, the great man, I, I tell you, it's interesting. He, he's a twenty five year old lad from the beautiful town of Bendigo. He, he is a country um, kid, isn't he? You can see he's got that humility about him. There's no question. He he, humility is the word. Shooter. The post round interview with Jerry Fultz, where we're straight off the top. So, so we one of the things we love about Lucas Herbert is the duck. Yeah, is Luke the duck Lukey. that sits on his head and the Luke the Duck head cover that sits in his bag, and it's never left it. And I, I don't think it's left his bag since he was probably 17. In fact, I say probably 17. I think it hasn't left his bag since um, he was the recipient of some some goodwill from Challenge. But how's this straight off the bat and, and a combination of quotes, but not many humans were better in the world, better than him in the world, referring to Jared Lyle. Wish he was still around. Every time I wear the Luke the Duck pin, I do it with pride. He's someone I want to honour and make sure everyone remembers. Um, he hadn't prepared that. Jerry Fultz did a great little interview and he just said, you know, do you think Jared's looking down on you? And he, um, so what an incredible ambassador to the point where I actually showed, I played that interview for my wife because I just wanted her and she said, what a great kid. Is it knee jerky of me to put Lucas Herbert as my favourite Australian golfer now? Because that's the kind of thing that you look at and go, that's someone That's yeah. someone I want my kids to be. That's someone I want my kids to grow up to become or to – that's who I want their idols to be, these people that have, as you said, this humility uh, about them. I'm, I'm sorry, Cam Smith. You've been usurped <laughs> by Herbie. 
Only just. You've only, and you've only <laughs> just been you've only just been bumped too. I mean, it was a really like it was it was it was neck and neck. But even I mean, little things that you pick up. So the joy of and this is nothing to do with his golf game, but the the joy of watching the embrace with he and his caddy and watching the interaction with he and his caddy. It's real. They isn't it? yeah. they love spending time together and they understand it's a journey and there's going to be ups and downs. But so so one I loved was the embrace. But Lucas Herbert was professional enough. And what I particularly love, he's just won for the first time on the PGA Tour. Two guys he was playing with who one of them, the Herald Sun, referred to as Taylor Penrith, um, the up-and-coming American, uh, as opposed to Taylor Penrith, the up-and-coming Canadian. Um, but anyway, don't worry about fact-checking. Um, Fake news. But the fact that he he looked at his caddy Nick Pugh and then looked back at his playing partners who he knew had had a bit of a tough afternoon and Danny Lee with another meltdown um, – and then did the right thing without celebrating overly and went over and shook their hands and did the right – and then the all-time embrace for his caddy just leapt up and wrapped his legs around him. Just unbelievable. Authenticity stands out amongst anything in the long run, doesn't it? That's just him. Three votes, parents. I mean, that like it, it, it's just – so the people he's got around him, um, like unbelievable. But then the, the mindset of – embracing the conditions and saying, you know what, I just I love it when it's tough. Like the the tougher the better. But he said that after the third round and after the last round, and it wasn't a mantra. He wasn't trying to convince himself of it. He he loves it. And this is Europe. And Kipper and I spoke about a few weeks ago about this idea of, of should more players be targeting Europe? Because how does Europe prepare you better for playing the PGA Tour? Well, you get adverse conditions. You play in a variety of courses. You hit high ones and low ones. You have to shape the ball. You know, he, he was hitting draws to fades. He was, like, doing everything. And he actually said that. He said, you know, tough conditions suit players of my skill level. And that was about as as arrogant a comment as you heard. And he didn't mean it to be disrespectful to other players. But he just said, I'm in my wheelhouse because I know what I can do. Um, and on the back of a couple of hard weeks prep, um, with Dom over there, you know, in his pocket, and I think there were some shots of them at Isleworth, and um, you know, living it up, but but grinding and working hard with um, the goal, just resilience, um, the the getting on with things like conditions weren't ideal. Uh, fantastic. Touching on his humility, there's also a lovely little thing uh, that he threw out there where he's he's requested. A start in a brand new tournament down here, rather than just expecting him <laughs> yeah, get one. Right. <laughs> and and I think it'd, it'd be fair to assume that he could expect one. <laughs> he, he he shot a note to um to Mike Clayton, the um the tournament director, um regarding the the Sandbelt uh, Invitational. I think is the working name at the moment for um that that Clayton and and Jeff Ogilvy have put together. Um, request yes, request uh, kind of requesting a start or informing him that I'm available to play if you would like me to. <laughs> type thing. Well, he's now 43rd ranked player in the world. It's it's three days before Christmas. Do you mind if I play? Like, be just be watch that kids. Anyone else coming through? Lose lose the strut and lose the arrogance. You can have some swagger, but just watch and learn of a masterclass in how to be a professional. And just touching on that Sandbelt Invitational, what a great concept, Philly. I love it. Um, it's like it's like all those great ideas. You're sort of left wondering why it hasn't happened sooner. 
Ogilvy, he staked his ambition with it too, which which I really love. From the outset, he's he's saying he wants to make it Australia's preeminent golf tournament, and, and it's really put the the PGA of Australia on notice, having cancelled the Australian Open and we've had the PGA, sorry, the PGA um, Championship uh, and golf Australia postponed yeah. again. Yeah, and golf Australia, um, both of them on notice here. The Sandbird Invitational it isn't being played as they said. Mike Clayton said they're not being. It's not being played for sponsors or TV coverage. It's it's the whole concept, at least the way they're marketing it, is it's kind of the people's tournament. You know, men and women playing, you have amateurs involved with it too. It's such an embracing concept and, and tournament, but it's also being played on the best courses in the world. Yeah. Like the Sandbelt, how has this never, never happened? It'll be interesting to see if that model's sustainable long-term. Um, and I know that it, it's having a bit of a soft um, a, a soft opening, I suppose, this year, and, and they will progress and, and it'll get bigger and bigger. But that's been the problem. The Australian Open and PGA are obviously sponsor-driven and hence their cancellation. It, it, when the big you know, big tournament um, sponsors are, are pulling out because we can't get people there or numbers there or whatever it might be or TV coverage. So this is this could be an absolute game changer uh, in Australia. Not, not only um, does it appear they're sponsor-driven, but it also appears that they are – um, driven by having internationals because, as again, as Kipper and I went through, we just don't have the faith in our local talent as opposed to people turning up just because they love watching elite. I mean, there's, there's still elite players and, and men and women and then you've got the, the amateurs and professionals all playing together. And, and Jeff Ogilvie has, you know, it's it's been dealt some cruel blows by COVID because they were planning on doing a little series down at 13th Beach and, and a few others, they got one in early Ariara. But this is their chance as the, the culmination of all of it. And the, the idea of TV coverage not being critical and sponsorship not being critical, because the, the conversation online was if everybody was asked just to donate, um, like there was a, a – a, here's a bad – well, it is tenuous links. There was a restaurant um, called Lentil as Anything, um, and it was a vegetarian restaurant where you could actually pay whatever you thought you could afford or what you thought the dish was worth. Now, if the prize money was based on people turning up saying, just put into this pot what you think this day should be valued at um, and what you therefore they think they should be playing for, they may well find the prize pool is bigger and I'm not sure what their plans are, but they may well find um, the prize pool goes through the roof or they have the ability to fund other things. But not only that, from a TV coverage point of view, you say, who needs TV? What is what are the other alternatives with the iPhone 13, one of whom is not a sponsor, Apple? Unfortunately, um, you, potentially you've got so many, so much streaming. There's so many stream, so many streaming opportunities for it, 100, percent and that's the way things are going anyway. But also, don't forget that you've got you've got a public that, especially down in Victoria, who are desperate to get out. To half, the, a lot of people can't even get onto any of these sandbelt courses in their life. To, go, to be able to walk around it and see, to a degree, see what they're missing, knowing this is in their backyard and it's and it's um, a golfing playground, it, it, there's no doubt you'll get you'll get crowds there. Uh, and with the exorbitant entry fee of zero, um, it, it's like, kind of appealing. Like, like the, talk about grow the game again. We talk about grow the game being do it with actions, not just a hashtag. Don't do yeah. it with actions, not hashtags. And here we're going to put on a tournament. Don't pay to come in. Bring your kids and give them a taste of how good this can be, and the fact that you can enjoy yourself. And yeah, this is what this is what how things can be if you want them to be that. What's not to love about it? Um, not much, not much. It's 
Fantastic. Now, I just I just want to touch base. I just want to quickly wheel back um, because every now and again we do make prophetic judgments and we had one podcast which was Hunter versus Hunted and I'm not going to talk about the other prophetic thing. Um, Danny Lee, Hunter versus Hunted strikes again. <laughs> um, Danny Lee, after the US Open when he smashed his putter and broke his hand because he'd had a six putter because he sooked it up. Um, all the talent in the world and – I, I still think that if Danny Lee ever realises his talent, he will be playing Presence Cups and he'll be doing all these other things. So let's hope he gets there. Um, but he, he did have a little bit of a meltdown. He hit the lead and he was in the lead by one on the 12th hole at Bermuda. And then because things were obviously grinding on him, he had a bit of a meltdown. He had a putt with a three wood and he had a chip and all of a sudden his routine and his pace of play sped up. Um, and I thought this is this is being in front and being hunted versus being the one that is desperate to chase, um, of not letting anything affect. And Kipper talks about that. Is the Tiger never let anything impact on his mood or behaviour, attitude or otherwise? So maybe Danny Lee might need to have a, a little bit of another look at how elite players behave, both when they're in the lead or when they're chasing, um, and, and take a bit of that. And then the other thing that I really liked about Bermuda, just to leave that and park that completely, Lucas Herbert, made the comment about tough conditions suiting players with skill. Patrick Reed shoots the second or third last round of the last day. I love it when conditions are tough because you stop overthinking and you rely on things like feel. Yeah. It's not surprising that a guy who who is, as we've called out several times having watched him at the President's Cup um, practice, an absolute flusher. People, We can't tell you, uh, we, we can't make it any clearer how much of an absolute flusher Patrick Reed is when he's hitting those balls. So it's, as you say, Phil, you know, he loves it. He loves it tough when the crowd's against him. He loves things against him. He's one of those guys that, that needs to be pushed into a corner before he throws punches, but then he knows how to throw them. I agree completely. He's a, he's, um, yeah, he's a start, but unfortunately he, he's got a bit going against him, young Patrick, but we won't um, venture down that rabbit hole again. Um, but the, the last point I'll make, even though this, I, I already said the last point. So the Bermuda Championship, when you look at the field going in, you ask yourself, why are they even bothering to play it, given given the the lack of quality there? Well, well, the perceived lack of quality there. Yet, following the outcome of it, where they're saying, "Thank God they did play it," because obviously Lucas Herbert got a leg up. Is this the point of the wraparound season? No, I think it's a just a positive byproduct of it. Uh, the wraparound season is purely a financial thing. <laughs> let's not yeah, let's right. not try and find some uh, <laughs> some altruistic. Um, things within it, but it depends why you watch golf to a degree. When you, you're sort of talking about this this quality versus quantity thing, aren't yeah. you? Where um, you know sometimes less is more, but depends why you watch golf. Uh, are, are you an event watcher or are you a, a golf watcher? I guess like if nothing's on, if nothing's on TV, for example, or if you're streaming or whatever it might be, if nothing's on, would you just flick um, just flick it over and watch golf? If it's not a big, it's not a big tournament, a big event. Now I'm guilty of that with cricket. Like rather than watch no cricket, I'll watch just pretty much any cricket that's on. I'm not quite the same with golf. I love watching a big event and a big tournament, and I get fired up for these these big events. and And I like the build up. Um, I like the, the the time leading to it. I like the gaps between these big events because it gives you time to to get over the last one and move into the next one. But fundamentally with golf, I think contests and drama are what draw us in. So if, if you have those things in any tournament 
at any given time. And that can happen at any given tournament, to be fair. Some of the, the most innocuous tournaments have seen some of the biggest um, or the most dramatic outcomes. So I think that's fundamentally um, what draws us to it. But at the same time, the bigger events almost naturally create those those um those big moments and those dramatic moments more often. So uh, I guess, yeah, as I said, sort of led with this, it, it depends on what your reasoning is for watching golf. Um, I think it is. It's just that upside, the quality versus quantity, and it's that upside of weighing up. Um, and you have been strong on this for years about golf needing a break. Um, Mike Clayton was particularly strong on this and has been the most vocal about the impact of the wraparound season on global golf. And I think in many respects that has led to a number of th- it's led to a number of changes, led to a number of challenges to authority um, because there is nothing about the game that you are protecting. You're about protecting a- another two-story PJ headquarters with a moat around it, you know, as opposed to that commitment to the game. And we even saw with the um, with the women playing in Dubai under lights. You know, that to me was interesting enough to say where they're playing under lights. Mm, I wouldn't mind playing under lights at some stage. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those things where it's it it is different, and I think goal ha- it has to keep testing the waters a little bit about what differences or, or what different approaches can add to the game, what different approaches will bring more people in or, or be more interesting for the viewer and 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 whatnot. I'm a fan of the concept of night golf uh, as a as a viewer, but I don't think I'd enjoy it in practice. And I'm sort of applying that from from bringing it to a different sport, to another sport, AFL, for example. I love watching night games. I, I think they are the most entertaining to watch or the best um, best for as a viewer. They're the, the most entertaining unless it's a grand final, then don't take it away from a normal time slot. Uh, love watching night games, AFL. Hated playing them. Hated playing night games. I've really struggled with them. So it, it comes down to is it, is it for the viewer or is it for the player? And I reckon golf would be very, fairly similar for me that I wouldn't enjoy it at night. Plus, Phil, I've already had a few drinks by that stage and I'm probably not hitting it all that straight. Well, probably straight it, to be fair. Uh, and I think regarding your night football games, I think when you've got 18 players on each side all running around with a torch, it, it would be difficult to enjoy. Headlamps. Yeah, or, Yes, or, or the, um, the the caving headlamps, um, as opposed to doing it in full conditions. And I know many years ago, I was lucky enough to go to a conference at the Saljana in um, Malaysia, like beautiful facility, beautiful golf course. And the lights were on every night and we weren't able to get out and play. But it, it did occur to me at that point in time, um, give me a couple of sherbets after dinner and let's go and play golf because, you know, it's sticky conditions are a little bit warm. And Barnard Hills, um, the same thing in, in Vietnam, you know, that, that idea of being able to enjoy golf day and night. Um, but as for watching it, I'm not sure it's quite the spectacle. So V8 supercars at night time, AFL at night time, um, Formula One at night time, golf. Hmm, don't know. It'd be interesting. Interesting. Now, there's some there's some other news that we haven't quite touched on yet, which is arguably probably the biggest news of all of this uh, is the association of Greg Norman with LIV Investments in this big Asian tour. What? Greg Norman? Huh? Really? That's news to us. It's almost May. like we said that <laughs> six months ago. <laughs> it, it was May. It was, uh, in fact, it was almost six months ago exactly that it was declared that Greg Norman would be heading up um, this uh, iteration of 
what the, the challenger, whatever it is. You know what? It actually doesn't matter what it is anymore. It's the fact that someone is saying, we're going to do something differently. Um, and so is Live Investments and what they're planning with the Asian Tour, is it the Super Golf League? I think that was the other working name. Um, no, not yet, but it is the same people and this is the, the starting point uh, and they're on their way. Investing in the Asian Tour, though, providing a, a genuine alternative for players to play when we look at how exciting the Japanese golf tour is mm. and where Asia started to get to and then completely lost it. And there's an Asian swing with the European tour. But, you know, talk about growth, you know, grow the game and growth markets. Well, Asia is where it's happening. Phil, I'm going to call it right now. I'm going to declare it like Big Kev once was. I'm excited about this. I uh, when it Absolutely. Well, like when it comes to business ventures as well, if Norman is, vo- is involved with it, um, uh, I can tell you which side I'm backing, whether it works or it doesn't. I mean, the, I know the details are a little scant now, and I know there's been some pretty vitriolic stuff written about the sharks since um, since the announcement. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hear him out before making judgment on it. I think he's earned that right. Um, yes, he walks his dog a lot, um, and there's a number of other things that he's got up to in his time. But not much he touches doesn't work or doesn't have a lot of thought. And I think it's a. a um, it would be remiss of us to think that he's just jumped into this because he just wants to piss the PGA Tour off. Exactly. Um, he might be the, he might be arrogant, but I think there's there's always bigger things to try out. And, and look, you know, one of the theories is he's testing the legal waters on behalf of PGA players because he's a lifetime PGA member. So therefore, if the PGA Tour want to ban him, so he then heads this up, enlists to play a, a, a tournament. The PGA Tour say, "No, you're banned." Okay, well then let's go and find out what you can and can't do because that was one of the key things around Premier Golf League or Super Golf League or any other call name golf leagues was does the PJ Tour have a right to restrict trade? Um, and apparently there's a number of people getting really rich in New York at the moment. In one building they're saying, yes, they do have that right. And in the building next door they're saying, no, they don't. It's almost as if the lawyers are telling their clients what they want to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's market research. Um but but there's another element to that, um, which is this idea of oh, uh, uh, shudder at the thought Saudi money. What is the what like other than human rights abuses and well potential criminal activity? What what are the issues with Saudi money? <laughs> Look, here's the thing for me. Though. This is where it's just such a hypocritical stance to to take. Everyone becomes moralistic when their bottom line is being threatened. PGA Tour of China, anyone? WGC, HSBC Champions event in China? Hypocrisy much? I mean, China is a nation with equally as horrific human rights abuses. Over decades, they've, right now, they've got over a million Uyghur Muslims in what are clearly concentration camps in 2021, or what the CCP calls re-education camps, Phil. Yes, they're asking them to concentrate. Yeah, where have have we heard that terminology before? So so spare me the PGA Tour and its lackeys' moral outrage at at Norman's involvement with Saudi money. It's it's just dollar-driven, time-convenient, fake moral outrage by these guys. It's pathetically transparent as well. If you're going to be moralistic on that stance, by all means do. Apply it equally and apply it and, and look in the mirror as well. So the, the question was then posed, so if we wanted this uproar about women's rights in Saudi Arabia, and I'm going to, I'll throw something at you in a, a second. But so Saudi money comes in and says, 
tell you what, I like. I really like the Australian Open, and I really like the Australian PGA, and I really like the Sandbelt Invitational, and we'd like each of those events to be worth five million bucks. And there's a check. Is there a moral dilemma, or are we just claiming there? And I know you you basically touched on this because obviously yeah. I'm heading somewhere with it. Yeah, well, we'll find that out early. But yeah, I yeah, I think I think we're back to the question. Um, that we raised back when we were speaking to um, to Reid Dickens from LA Golf. Does politics belong in sport, or yeah. or should sport trans transcend politics? I guess, and that is that is a moral question. My my position on it is you need to be consistent. Either way, <laughs> as a starting point, you need to be consistent. So, what's wor- so if we just deal with the politics? Oh dear, and and human rights. What is worse? Based on your extensive knowledge, because you are a, you've got reasonable knowledge of what's going on in the world, Qatar or Saudi Arabia, or are they neck and neck? Oh, no, that's no. a really bad turn. Sorry, yeah, I'd no. like to, are they? Are they? Um... Don't lose your head here, Phil. No, the, the the truth is, Saudi has a horrific human rights um, track record. There's no question about that. And I, you, you know me well enough to know I will, I'm never defending Saudi Arabia. Uh, Qatar is not on the same level, but there are some fundamental underlying principles that they share that have, that, that are not, uh, that don't lend themselves to a, a free and fair society for all people, shall we say. So uh, throw this one at you, because why not get political? In Saudi Arabia, women do not need permission to travel. I, like it's, I can't even believe that they needed it, but, but don't, no longer need permission to travel internationally. Okay, grow the game. Um, in Qatar, they do. I don't think there's a. I don't think we're going to. We, we can go through the minutiae of, of what they can and can't do. Both obviously are, are not wonderful for human rights. But my question to you is: Do we know anywhere that I don't know locally that might have had Qatar have some kind of influence over any tournaments? Because you're a very knowledgeable man. No, or, or, or funding of a, a funding of a. Governing body or anything. Well, look, Damien, it's an interesting point that you make because I've been doing some research and I've found a number of backdrops and things in media and including promotions that keep popping up on my social bloody media with a Qatar Airways quiz of the week brought in conjunction with Golf Australia. Um, Now, if Qatar Airways say you need permission as a woman to travel and if I'm trying to grow the game amongst women and girls, I just don't reckon that's the partner I'm looking for. It seems at odds, doesn't it? Now, I know we've spoken about this before, but I cannot I cannot sit here and have Saudi Arabia, you know, this, oh, dirty Saudi money and, and, and a lot of media commentary from internationally and, and some high-profile ones, high-profile women in the US particularly saying grubby money, dirty money, like Jason Kokrak, what's he thinking, you know, how would your daughters and wife be feeling about this? Yet in Australia, where they're saying, "Oh no, we couldn't take Saudi money," mm, we Qatari money, yeah, you know, we'll take mm. Qatari money. We're just not that Saudi money. Look, mm. look, just be either separate them to to read Dickens's point, separate them, and say we have sport, and we have politics, and never the twain shall meet. Or the, re- the reality is, there has been so much, well, a form of social engineering embraced in the golf industry in Australia, and whether you agree with it or not, that. That has been happening, so it it makes it an even uglier look when you're moralising towards people, yet showing very la- lacking in the application of that morality, shall we say? 
couldn't agree more. Eamon Lynch. So, so he's written he's written this article, and it's he clearly has a pre-existing distaste for Norman. He he gets gets in there, gets very personal with him. It's it's just an absolute attack on him. He totally disregards um, Norman's entrepreneurial acumen uh, that has been shown over and over. As much as we know, Norman has a big ego. But I don't think you've you've followed him closely enough if you think he's doing all of this for ego or just ego alone. There's the same criticism. There has been the same criticism virtually every business that Norman puts his name to, the shark has put his name to, yet his success continually says, like, we should afford him just a little bit more respect than Lynch was willing to give him in that interview. And it's clear he's letting personal feelings get in the way of the overall business model. But I think there's something more at the heart of this, something more underlying. Does Lynch take the same moral high ground when considering buying Nike shoes that are made in an Asian sweatshop? Now, perhaps he does. Uh, has he been as critical and acerbic about the PGA Tours China Tour that I mentioned earlier and it's the expansion into China, which obviously has an incredible amount of human rights uh, issues and abuses going on? If he has, well, I've missed that. Has Eamon Lynch attacked the individual players who have chosen to play in the Saudi International? Has he, has he gone after Dustin Johnson, Tony Finau, Bryson, Sergio, uh, Justin Rose, just and a host of other big names? It, it's clear he it, it, he has a vested interest in playing um, playing the attack dog for the PGA Tour on this. He makes a living off the back of access to PGA Tour players and tournaments and his association with the PGA Tour. So he's hardly an unbiased commentator in all of this, and and I just think it, it is so obvious and so blatant the hypocrisy that it drives me mad and this is this is one of those things where people talk about fake news and all that sort of that sort of stuff this is what drives it this kind of blind narrative attacking one while defending and making money off the other doing something very similar there you go phil (sighs) feel free it all comes back to malcolm x i have more respect for a man who lets me know where he stands even if he is wrong than someone who comes up like an angel and he's nothing but a devil just needed to get that off my chest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the last point, the last point, just because it's a, 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 a topical one in Australia, but it does reflect a number of areas around the world. And I know we've touched on it before, but there's a bit of a test case coming up, I think, around a specific golf course in Melbourne, but it doesn't matter, but it's Northcote Public Golf Course, about you know this in-between, is it shared space or is it golf course or is it parkland? And there's been a lot of commentary around it um, both ways, and there's a there's a save North you know movement where they want to protect their ground, but also concede a little bit of ground. And then there's the full what do we like to call them? Are they progressives or greens? They they not sure that they that work really. I'm not allowed to say what I like to call them. <laughs> but but on the other hand, therefore it should be it should be parkland, um, and we know from experience with. Another golf course in Melbourne, a nine-hole golf course that was closed. It's now a snake pit because the minute you turn it back into parkland, it's too big a space for councils to maintain without it drawing any sort of revenue. So therefore, they just it's don't. Alone. So things are now at ankle high. But what I find particularly interesting about Northcote, and this is quite a personal uh, element about Northcote, is there was a great man called Jeff Giles. Um, who was a golf pro, who I've mentioned a few times before. But Jeff Giles was the guarantor for Northcote Park's first clubhouse. So Jeff was the, the golf pro there and he went guarantor to ensure that the clubhouse was built and so that it could function. So also he had a place to teach, including, mind, mind you, an indoor fitting and teaching centre. I'm sure it's 50 years ago, uh, 60 years ago, but 
it, it was incumbent on Jeff to provide an opportunity for Northcote Park to be able to flourish as a golf course. So he went guarantor on the clubhouse. In terms of this need to then make it a shared space, Jeff's son, uh, daughter-in-law and grandchildren were inadvertently featured in a photo that the age ran about why the Northcote Park should be back to parkland. And they were enjoying it as parkland and, and, fa- and, and loving the open spaces and just running around kicking the soccer ball and all the rest of it. And everything on this continues to point back to the lesson that we learnt back in the time of Queen Beatrice, Queen the, the Queen that was the Queen of the time who decreed <laughs> that St Andrews golf should not be played on a Sunday and it should be returned to the town. Now, I don't know if Sunday is the day, but I, I just can't understand why it is so difficult to find a compromise when we have a benchmark that was laid out 500 years ago saying shared space exists. Just understand when and how and who and draw some guidelines around it. But we can all be in this together. And on that sweet note, we'll bring today's Tenuous Links <laughs> Golf Podcast to a close. Send us your thoughts to swagger at golfbarons.com and be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com. Follow us on our socials and enjoy watching Golf Barons on Foxtel and KO On Demand. Thanks for listening, Barons. And until next time, remember to add some swagger to your swing.